Hello and welcome back for episode two of Tourist of the Universe. My name is Ashley, I'm your host, and I'm happy you're here. So for today's topic, I did want to discuss what I feel is important in any type of foundation and spirituality and any type of spiritual development, and that is figuring out what you believe about God. Now, notice I didn't say figure out whether or not you believe in God. Mainly, I just want to discuss some concepts, tell you some stories, and then ultimately it's going to be up to you to figure out what you do and do not believe. Now, God is a big topic to cover, and we aren't going to be able to cover everything, but whether you believe God is love, God is a woman, God is a man, God is a body, there's more than one God, God is an energy, God isn't real, whatever, it, wherever on the spectrum you fall in your beliefs on God, I am hoping that you do get something out of this, and just know it is absolutely not going to be one of those uh topics where I tell you how to believe this is something that is going to be up to you to decide. So if you listened to my last episode, you heard about my chicken nugget moment, which was a moment that motivated me to ask more questions. And it motivated me to find out whether or not God was real and all of the things I was hearing in church or not were true. And uh, so I do have a story for, for that first moment of experimentation where I decided to take matters into my own hands and figure out for myself if God was real or not. And I do call this story The Bird. So the setting of this story is my backyard. And I was about seven years old riding around in my big wheel in the cement pad that was between the house and the garage. Now, if you don't know what a big wheel is, it was one of those plastic tricycles where there was a really big front wheel, a big plastic front wheel, and then two smaller back plastic wheels. And when I would sit in it, the, the front wheel came to about where my forehead was, and it was black, it had two yellow handles, and there I was just kind of riding in circles in the backyard. And I decided that that was a good time to figure out whether or not God was real. So as I'm writing, I, I was thinking, well, you know, if God's real, I'm going to have to do something that gets his attention because it has to be something where he'd be motivated to respond. And so if, if I'm going to do something that motivates him to respond, that something is... I mean, it's probably got to be offensive. Um, and so if you're wondering if I'm a middle child, to explain that line of thinking, yes, indeed, I am a middle child. So there I was thinking, okay, I've got to get God's attention by being truly offensive. So what is the most offensive thing that me and my seven-year-old self can do? And what I thought was the most offensive thing I could possibly do was to flip God the bird. And if you're not familiar with the phrase um, flipping the bird, um, that would be me taking my middle finger and pointing it up towards the sky. <laughs> so there I was. I had my, my right hand. Um, I was still holding on to the big wheel handle um, with my fingers wrapped around it. And all I did was kind of just lift that middle finger right on up. And I say, okay. Here, God, here you go. If you're real, here's my middle finger. Um, and uh, what I learned um, was when you don't pay attention to where you're driving, 
<laughs> because you're multitasking and trying to figure out whether or not God is real, um, you might run into things. And so what happened was uh, I was there watching my finger instead of where I was going. And um, the the front wheel, I plowed right on into the side of the garage. And so the wheel plows into the side of the garage and it veers to the left and that pushes me into the side of the garage, which had that really prickly stucco. And so I still was hanging on to the handle of the big wheel and my middle finger was still extended and it scraped along the side of the garage and that really prickly stucco. And what it gave me was quite a gnarly gash. Um, and so, and to this day, I still have a scar on that middle finger from where I ran into the side of the garage while I was, well, flipping God the bird. So my seven-year-old self um, felt like that was a response from God. I don't know what I was expecting before then. I was expecting something. Um, but me running in and, and gashing the, the side of, uh, of the garage and, and ending up with a wound, to me, that was proof at that time that God must be real. And I look back at it and it's like, well, I also wasn't looking where I was going and I wasn't paying attention. Um, and so could this be coincidence? Was this coincidence or did all of those moments come together because that was a lesson I was supposed to learn about God? And so um, that at that time, I, I did take that as God is real, but it didn't complete all of my questions. And so I still did continue to ask questions after that, although in my life and throughout my life, when I have wondered if God was real, I am always reminded of my middle finger and that scar that's there. And and that's why I call it my God scar, because it, it does remind me of the questions that I've asked, possibly answers that I've gotten, and and maybe more more behind those. So the next experience comes a little bit later. Uh, we'd moved to a different house. I had to be probably about eight or nine. And my questions had also moved from, does God exist, to what is God like, and what is God's nature? And um, we went to church, and I learned that um, God is my Father in heaven, and that God is my loving Father in heaven, like God loves me. And um, my own father... Um, loves the heck out of me. And um, my dad loved when, loves, he's still alive. My dad loves when I sing. Um, and so my, my next experience was me thinking, you know, if my father on earth loves to hear me sing, maybe my father in heaven also would love to hear me sing. So I, I went into my room and um, I knelt down at, at my bedside uh, where I would normally kneel to pray, uh, as we did regularly before bed, um, kneeling to pray uh, at night. And I thought, you know, okay, so if, if my father on earth wants to hear me sing, I'm going to sing to my father in heaven. And I don't remember the song that I, I sang. It was, it was a primary song, so one that I learned in church. And um, I, I sang out loud, and I remember this feeling that just 
came over me of, of warmth and like somebody was standing behind me giving me the biggest um, hug, like energy hug where it filled my inside with complete and total love and peace. Um, and up to that point, it was the most potent feeling of love and peace I'd ever felt. And so for me, that was actually a much more solid confirmation than scraping my middle finger because that was me singing to the heavens, to um, uh, a God in heaven, and not feeling a response that was you know, possibly the coincidence of me just not looking where I was going, but something that I felt on the inside that was potent and deep and pure. And, um, I didn't have any other explanation for other than I couldn't see God and I couldn't see where this, um, feeling was coming from, but I could feel it. And so from, from that point on, I felt that God was in fact real. Now, um, I did tell you that this this wasn't going to be um, an episode that convinces you that God is real, and and I do want to assure you that that's not where I'm going with this. Um, these were my experiences that shaped me in my youth. Now, I also had experiences later on that made me doubt um, all of those prior experiences. So uh, I am going to continue telling you my own personal stories, and then we're going to segue into some other concepts, but um, I just want to assure you that as I tell you my experiences and what happened to me, I just want to let you know that it's okay if you still continue to look at these uh, experiences in a different light and in a different view than I did. Now, um, I should also say that while I was in this phase of looking for proof of God, I would also periodically see spirits. And uh, in the earlier years of seeing spirits, it was never really a scary experience. Um, I didn't have anything really that I perceived as a scary experience until high school. So the combination of profound energy hugs uh, with spirits and uh, or the appearance of spirits of loved ones, and then um, the scar on my middle finger, it really solidified for me at that time that there was something more um, and that God was real. Um, and I, I do say at that time, because there were times in my life later where I, I felt less certain, but at that time, that's where I was. And so um, because I was also going to church where I learned about God and I was learning about God on my own. And um, some of the things that I learned about God at church lined up with the things that I was experimenting with on my own. And so because of that, because the two lined up on those principles at that time, I, I stopped asking questions. And I did start trusting church and trusting that if um, if church was right about God and I had this experience about God and that one principle, then church is probably right about everything else. And I stopped asking questions. So church is where I learned what God required of me. Um, God required, you know, that I keep commandments, that I be good, that I don't do this or else you won't be blessed by God and you need to repent of this so that you can return home to God and, and go to the temple so you can learn more about what God requires in order for you to get to the highest level of heaven and the list 
of things that God required of me got longer and longer. And I'd really developed uh, some religious scrupulosity because of it. And by the time I reached late teens and early 20s, I especially felt the extreme guilt when I would do something I thought God might not approve of. And originally, when I was younger, there was that feeling of this being that would, you know, fill me with deep love and peace. And that was replaced by uh, a being that I was constantly unworthy of standing beside or being in the presence of. So because of this, there were times that I'd give up on the checklist um, and all of the things that God required of me. I just felt like there was no way I could ever reach that level of perfection. And there were times that I'd resigned to never, just never being good enough. And I, I had that mentality really up until... I was 18 with the following experience. Now, I'm going to preface this with um, if domestic violence is a trigger for you, you're going to want to fast forward for a few minutes because I am going to tell a story that does involve some uh, aspect of domestic violence. So at 18, I entered into my first long-term relationship. And without getting into too many details, I'll just say that this relationship really lasted about four years. And it was a classic abusive relationship, both physically and emotionally. And I felt trapped. I felt scared, alone, um, like I'd completely disappointed God and wasn't worthy of his love, wasn't worthy of help, really wasn't worthy of, of getting out of the situation that I was in. And there was this one evening where we made dinner. Um, I'd made dinner for me and my boyfriend at that time. And every step of the process, I'd done something wrong, according to him. Um, I didn't cut the vegetables right. He didn't like this. He didn't like that. And then at one point, I smarted off. Um, and his response was to throw plates at me and then pin me up against the wall in a chokehold. And... Uh, so after, you know, I got out of the chokehold, he just casually sits at the table like he didn't just try to choke me and starts eating dinner. And I sit at the table just seething. I was so angry and I was just boiling inside. Um, and all I could think of was how much I hated him and that hate went so deep. And so I'm sitting there staring at him, eating the vegetables that I didn't cut right, um, and and feeling how much I hated him. And I had this, uh, all of a sudden, overwhelming feeling come from the top of my head down, where I just felt so much deep love and peace, and it was a feeling that was familiar it was that feeling that I had kneeling at my bedside singing to God. It was that same just warm, pure, loving energy. And I felt that that was the message to me that I was still so loved. But also, I had this feeling, and like just this knowing, that it was also meant for him, <laughs> for the boyfriend that, I was looking at that I hated so much that it was, um, and I, I felt like it was showing me that God deeply loved him and I, it floored me because how could this person who was so deeply unkind to me 
and hurt me so badly, be so deeply loved by God also. And I sat there in this potent, loving energy, pondering that. And that ended up being quite a significant chicken nugget for me, a chicken nugget moment for me. Um, because it, it did make me ask more questions. It made me go back and look at this checklist of if I did this, 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 and this, then I'd be unworthy. So if I'm unworthy of God's love, why am I feeling it so potently now? I remember observing how the the deep hatred and anger that I was feeling within, that was boiling within me, was pushed out and replaced with this with this deep potent feeling of love. And I, I knew it wasn't mine. It was not coming from me. It was not me that was having feelings of love, of deep love for this person that was sitting across the table of me or from me. This was uh, an outside source filling me with this, this sense of knowing that um, we were both worthy of love. Now, what that moment did was uh, motivate me also to leave the situation. It, it gave me the insight that I needed to um, know that I, I wasn't damned or lost or, or anything like that, that, that I could really get out of that situation and find something uh, better in my life. And that's what I did after that moment. That was what it took. Love. Feelings of deep love and peace from that outside source. That's what it took for me to uh, move on to a better situation and get out of that terrible one. And as far as the chicken nugget moment, or the moment that caused me to ask more questions, uh, my, my train of thought was it, if God loves someone so deeply and comes to someone so potently who is also based on the checklist, supposedly wrapped in sin and not following all of the things that that checklist said were required to be followed to be accepted by God, maybe the checklist of requirements didn't come from God. And so that really got the ball rolling and in, in starting, or in me starting to ask more questions again and really re-examine the beliefs that I'd had up until that point. In church, I'd been taught that if you're not standing in holy places or like meaning if you're not uh, doing all the right things and being in the right places and, and doing things that would be in, cor uh, in accordance to what God would see as good, then you wouldn't be worthy of feeling any type of influence of the spirit or any type of influence from God. And that chicken nugget moment was uh, showing that, that that wasn't true because there I was sitting at the kitchen table in a situation that I felt was really contrary um, to what I'd been taught was morally correct. And there I was feeling a deep and profound love of God. So I did press save on that moment. I wish I could say that that moment really erased religious scrupulosity and, and helped me see um, that my beliefs were not correct in, in the sense that God has a checklist and, and all of these other things and, that are required of me in order to be worthy of his love. I, I wish I could say that it, it reversed all of those. It, it didn't. 
it got me asking more questions. And I still had moments further down the road where I got stuck in that uh, scrupulosity loop again, where I was feeling unworthy and, and like, um, I wouldn't be able to connect and get answers. And it's like, I had to learn that lesson several times. So I have several other moments that happened after that, that taught me the same lesson and had me ask the same questions before it actually sank in. So, uh, apparently (laughs) I'm kind of a slow learner, but at least I ask questions eventually, I guess. Uh, and so with that, I do want to segue into if that checklist didn't come from God, who did it come from? Now, the answer is not the devil. That's not where I'm headed. <laughs> In fact, next up, ep- uh, next episode, we'll probably talk about, uh, the origins of the devil. But today, um, I'm actually going to segue into ego and the higher self. So what is ego? Ego is the part of us that takes our surroundings, um, our families, our experiences, what we've been taught, where we've been, and creates an identity from that. So that's the part of our brain and our mind that does that. Much of your identity will be wrapped up in or a product of your ego. And some not so cool things that stem from your ego will be things like judgment, whether it's judging yourself or others, shame, um, how you should be acting in order to be accepted, any type of competition or need to be competitive, need for control, uh, need to be at the top of the pyramid, um, and really any type of beliefs in moral, intellectual, or spiritual superiority are either a product of your ego or you internalizing the product of someone else's ego. So dogma is a result of ego um, and the idea of being rejected uh, for being human is a result of ego. Uh, But why do humans do this? Uh, Why do humans insist on using ego to drive their spirituality and their spiritual beliefs? And so the answer to that, we have to go back into human wiring and instinct. And way back when, humans lived in tribes. And in order for the tribes to maintain this level of security and optimal function, there was a a level of conformity required. And, you know, you do this job or, or that thing and you can stay in the tribe. But if you cause harm to the tribe... Or, or you do something that would not fulfill the level that's expected within the tribe, then you get the boot. And when you get the boot and you, you have to leave the tribe, you're on your own. And often that means death, living in the wilderness on your own. So it's like this wiring within us to conform to the rules of the tribe and that if we don't conform to the rules of the tribe, then we're rejected. And it's like humans want to project that instinct and that feeling into who they see as God. So what that's saying is that humans, by instinct, view God as being like a head of the tribe. But that's also reducing someone who we say is all-knowing and omniscient and all-loving and all of these wonderful things and reducing them to being egoistic and having this mentality that's so simplified that do what I say 
or get booted and rejected from the tribe. So, humans are wired to conform by instinct, and we have the option to conform based on tribalistic ideas that stem from ego, like control, following specific requirements, staying within your assigned box, or we can also conform based on ideas that come through the higher self. So what is the higher self? And the higher self is the idea that humans are more than the product of instinct and ego, that there is a higher level of consciousness within ourselves that we all have access to. So the higher self is the real you. So it's the you without ego and the you that's connected to spiritual realms, to source, um, a.k.a. God. It is the part of you that's connected to infinite wisdom, love, and the part that holds no judgment or fear. So there's this belief that this is a higher consciousness that we can tap into that's a, a higher part of our souls that is divine. Now, I'm the type that needs visuals, so this is kind of how I picture the higher self. Um, you have this huge, beautiful soul, and you can't possibly fit all of this beautiful, energetic body into an itty-bitty um, little human body. And so you have a piece of this infinitely wise soul that's kind of stuffed into a human body with a human brain and DNA and instinct. And the part of that soul that didn't fit is the higher self. And the part of you that isn't subject to humanness is the higher self. So what comes from the higher self is the belief that we are all one. We should be united as one big tribe in love and understanding. Um, it is compassion. It's understanding that hurt people hurt people. And instead of booting someone from the tribe or rejecting someone for being different, we see who they are within. We have understanding of their wounds and help them heal those wounds rather than reject them for those wounds. The higher self teaches that love is unconditional. Ego says that love has conditions. The higher self connects us to love, compassion, peace, wisdom, unity. It's, it's a, a true and higher consciousness and a source of goodness. And a lot of times um, Christians, when they talk about Jesus and his um, teachings when he's here, he was here to fulfill the law and bring in this higher law. I see a little bit of parallel there where, where you have the Old Testament, which is this tribalistic view and then there's this higher law, which is to do unto others as you'd have others do unto you, that um, we are united in love. And so when I think about my beliefs in God and, and how I sort that now, uh, I do sort by my thoughts on ego versus the higher self. Now, there is also the belief that um, maybe... It's not God that we connect to when we connect to divinity, that maybe what we're doing is simply connecting to the higher self. And so another visual for this is that I did have a dream once where um, I saw myself, like my body, as like this little puppet and this puppet that was connected to this, this higher energetic being, so like the higher self, and that all of the people that surrounded me were the same where everybody had this small little body that was like a puppet connected to this bigger individual or this bigger being. And we were all holding hands in this great big circle and that each one of us in, um, in that circle 
had this beam of light that was going from our hearts into the center of this circle. And in the center of this circle was this big ball of beautiful light. And it was like this light of knowledge. And so um, when I, with the idea that maybe God is just the higher self, that's a possibility too. And the way that I would see that is that God then would simply be the source of goodness and light. So there's a few different ways that you can go if you're trying to figure out what you believe. There's lots of different options to still feel like you can connect with divinity. Uh, and, and you can kind of work with the definition that feels best for you. Uh, my experience with connecting to the higher self, now there's lots of different methods that people use to connect to their higher selves. A lot of times in meditation um, or prayer, those are ways to connect with the higher self or plug into this higher consciousness really. And so before I do readings, so when people come to me to connect with the other side or some type of psychic reading, um, I do a meditation to connect to my higher self. And the way that I picture that since I, again, I'm very visual and I need visuals to understand concepts sometimes. The way that I picture that is uh, kind of like this, I, I picture this really large body of energy that is my higher self and there's this hollowed out center of it and then I picture myself stepping back into that hollowed outside and connecting with this um, higher being. Now, once I started doing that, uh, my readings went better um, and so I usually get more information for that person and I'm able to connect on a higher level. Does that mean that, um, God is my higher self or that my higher self, um, is what allows me to tether into this line of, of further light and knowledge? I don't know. Uh, but I do know that that's one of those things that seems to work better for me when I'm trying to connect to a divine source. So now that we've discussed ego versus the higher self, there's this quote by Anne Lamott. And she says, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. And for me, the translation of that is if you believe God rejects, dislikes, is judgmental, easily offended, prefers one person or belief system over the other or a morality concept over the other, that that is a projection of ego. And it's a projection of either your ego or someone else's ego that you've internalized, which is also known as dogma. So rather than God is uh, something that is more aligned with the higher self, so uh, something that is unconditional, um, connected to unconditional love, wisdom, light, and knowledge. So I'm not going to tell you how to believe in God and what form of God to put God into um, it really is something that I believe should be up to you to decide, but I would encourage you to look at what you believe about God already, and does it fit into a box of ego that causes you to fear judgment and fear rejection, or does it transcend that and connect you to love, enlightenment, and understanding? Uh, does it encourage you to seek peace and do unto others as you would have others do unto you? Uh, or does it teach you to judge and dislike your fellow man? I do believe that it's possible to be united in love and differences, and that ego is what would prevent us from loving in spite of differences. And so when we look at 
you know, people that believe, whether it's religious beliefs that are different than ours or political beliefs that are different than ours, uh, the way that we heal the world is not through connecting to our ego. The way that we heal the world is connecting to our higher selves and transcending the ego and loving in spite of that and and uniting in spite of that. So I would encourage you as you try to figure out what you believe is, as far as any type of divine source of wisdom goes, that you would consider the ego versus the higher self concept. Um, if you find it hard to fathom a God that loves you no matter what, or um, a God that doesn't have any type of requirements or checklists, um, that's often re the result of you and your own trauma and fears and experiences with rejection. And it's often the result of you not being seen for the truly wonderful person that you are um, and who you are uh, as a divine being. So it's all often the, the result uh, of living a life uh, where you've been exposed to quite a bit of dogma. Um, so with that, I will end this topic and close. Um, but before I do, I want to ask, did you have any chicken nugget moments? And, uh, if you don't know what that is, again, go ahead and listen to the first episode. It is a moment that makes you ask more questions. I would love to hear any type of chicken nugget moments that you may have had additional insight in your own stories and the ways that you can reach me are you can send me an email at postmormonmystic at gmail.com. You can also send me a message on Instagram. My handle is uh, postmormonmystic. Uh, and then also on Spotify, there is a section to ask questions. So I do monitor all of those things. I would love to hear your feedback. And uh, until next time, I do truly hope you have a wonderful day and uh, are able to connect to the divine that you seek. We'll talk to you later.